Gannon, and I'm mad about miniatures. Today's episode is entitled, It All Started with a Miniature Toilet, because that's how Hannah Lemon's miniature journey began. What started as a miniature bathroom project during lockdown grew, and now you know Hannah as the winner of Season 2 of Best in Miniature and the maker of extraordinary miniature plants and other tiny creations. Hannah is on Instagram at hannahlemon underscore art. And now we're going to go talk to Hannah and find out more. Hello, Hannah. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Becky. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of your plants, your miniatures. And of course, we got to meet in person at Igma Guild School. Yes, that was so exciting. I get to meet all the amazing artists there. And yeah, that was an incredible experience. I started making miniatures in lockdown. So seeing the miniature artists and seeing their work face to face was really amazing. I think the first time you really get to meet a lot of miniaturists in person, for me, it was the first show kind of after lockdown, the Philadelphia Minturia show. And it was just so exciting to meet everyone in person that I've been talking to. Yes, it's like meeting a celebrity, right? Like you just know them so well. You feel like you know so them so well online, on social media. And then you just see them in real life and you're like, oh my God, you do exist. <laughs> I was just almost overwhelmed by all the amazing things we talked about. And it's all about miniatures. <laughs> I felt like I was in another planet or something. <laughs> my friends will, you know, they listen to me about some of the things, but I can't talk about glue And that's an interesting topic. It is. We all want to know about glue, right? (laughs) Right. That's right. Like, there's always something to learn in miniature world. You could be a professional. You could be amateurs. There's no ending to, like, how much you can learn. And I think that was an amazing opportunity for all of us to meet and just share the knowledge. And we're all, like, happy to share those things. That's what I love. I know that I was a little nervous about going to guild school. I know a lot of people feel like they're not good enough. But I really think that you don't need to get better to go to guild school. You go to guild school to get better. Yes. And to meet all your amazing friends and uh, people who have been doing the same thing over the years. And it's just like, it's a really nice community there. And for me, that was the biggest gain. You actually took a pottery class, which is perfect for you because you make tons and tons of little plants and now you can make little homes for them. Yes, that was so much fun. I really wanted to take that class for a long time. Even before, like, I knew about Guild School, I really wanted to learn the miniature pottery and I just didn't know where I could do that. So that was an amazing opportunity. I really loved it. I could not stop. Like, I didn't want it to end, really. I could just do that for the whole month and I won't be bored of it. (laughs) You told me before that when everyone was stopping, you were trying to keep cranking some out. I was really like not fun to be around (laughs) because like everyone was like having a tea, biscuits, chatting, getting to know each other. There I was just like making pots like robot. (laughs) I will say that everyone made a lot of pots. It was one of those classes where there was a lot to show. But you made like a ton of pots. You had so many little pots that it was unbelievable. Yeah, gosh, like, I don't know how many I made in the end, but it was over 50 for sure. It was over 50 for sure. It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think you've always been speedy? Or do you think being on the TV show Best in Miniature helped you be speedier? 
Oh, definitely the show helped. But up until then, I was just taking time making things in my own time. But being on a show and making the whole room within eight hours, you really have to work fast and you have to learn shortcuts. And I think that experience taught me how to work fast. And now I just work really, really fast. And I don't cut corners. I just don't like stopping. You know, I'm always, my hands are always moving. Right. And of course, you went to Guild School because that was one of the prizes because you won Best in Miniature Season 2. Yeah. Take me back before you knew you were going to win. You told me that you loved the show, and but it took you a long time to decide whether to apply or not. Yeah, well, I was really not confident at all. I learned miniatures during lockdown, so I didn't really learn it from anyone. I know that there is going to be people who have been doing this for a long time. So I really didn't have any confidence. But my friend and my partner, they were just really pushing me to apply. So I had a glass of wine to give me a little courage. And then I finally applied on the last day of the application day. That's amazing. So when you were on the show, when you got there, was there ever a time you thought you were going home? Oh, every day. (laughs) No, because so many people on that show, and you are not one of them, were like, I think I'm going to win and all that. (laughs) I don't know how you could. I mean, I'm very different, I think. But I honestly thought that I would be going home at a very early stage, like even on episode one. I've never built like a proper house before, like, you know, properly. And, you know, I've never worked in that kind of time pressure So I had no idea. And I just honestly thought I would probably go home on the first episode and, you know, I could still talk about it. It's an amazing experience. (laughs) There were many times I thought I was going home. I packed my suitcase multiple times. Wow. And didn't you tell me that on the dreaded kitchen challenge where you got some not very kind feedback that you actually told your partner to come pick you up? (laughs) I really struggled with that episode. It didn't show on the TV show, but I was crying a lot. Like, I was so upset, really devastated. After the feedback I got, I couldn't even look at my kitchen that I built. (laughs) Yeah. That's terrible. (laughs) I mean, I think because the work that you create, especially my one, I was making a kitchen that had got a lot of memories from back when I was living in Japan. And it was a, a kitchen dedicated for my mom. So... There was a lot of personal things that gone into it. And I put a lot of effort and heart into it. So when then you get a negative feedback, it breaks your heart. Yeah. Yeah. It took a while for me to recover from that. I can see that. Tell us about the house you built. It was very personal, right? So we were all going to make a dream home. And my dream home was a combination of of like Japanese traditional house with a bit of a Western features because I'm half Japanese and half English. And um, it was also going to have a lot of natural elements and lots of wood and presence of animals like paw prints and some bird nests and things like that. It was kind of going to pack a lot of memories from the past, like when I was little, when I was living in Japan. So it was very personal. Yeah, very special work for me. I rewatched the finale the other day just to get ready for this. The house is so beautiful. But what always strikes me about the finale is 
you make this amazing koi pond. It's, I mean, it's just incredible. And then oh, you say you. you're using resin for the first time. And my jaw dropped. <laughs> first, when you said you were using resin for the first time, I was like, no, no, don't do it for the first time here. <laughs> <laughs> but then it turned out. I mean, I know you were given some time to plan your house. Did you change your plan from the garden? Had you not gotten that far? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I thought that I was going home at the very early stage. So I didn't expect that I would be there for the finale. Oh. Yeah, I had a vision of what my dream home garden to look like for a long time in real life. Like I know that I really wanted to have a pond with um, some koi fish in it and lily pads. So I kind of have to bring my real dream home garden into this show. But you hadn't really thought through like, how am I going to do this for the show? Not really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I had to plan a little bit like, okay, so how am I going to do this? I didn't want to use the real water because I was going to put koi fish that was going to be made out of clay. Then the, the solution was to have resin. I wanted to paint little fish on layers and layers so that meant that I was going to use resin, pour some resin, cure them, paint some uh, fish on it, then pour more resin on and cure them. And I've never done that before. So I had no idea how long it was going to take for me to make this pond within the time that we were given. Wow, I'm still blown away by that. You're two-handed throughout the whole finale. One hand is making things and one hand is holding a little curing light for the resin. That was the way I had to work. Like I was having so much fun though. Like I think the finale episode, I was just so grateful for just being there for the finals. I didn't really mind if I didn't win the whole thing. I just wanted to have fun, really wanted to come uh, bring this vision to come to life. And to do that, I really needed to complete the pond. So I was going to do everything to make this happen. I just had to use two hands and one hand holding the flashlights and one hand to be painting the painting works. Well, and now the koi pond has sort of become your signature and you brought one to Igma to show us that was similar. And I, I see on your Etsy site little koi ponds. I mean, the way you layer it with the fish and they look like they're swimming in different layers, it's just amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really um, enjoyed making it. Uh, then when I got back from the show, I made another one, which I brought to the Igma. I posted that video of how I made a pond on social media. And it just, um, it went really like viral, like there were like few million views on that. And then since then, I just get a lot of requests of koi ponds <laughs> from all over the world. So that garden in there and your house, it was based on... Your love of plants and growing up in Japan. But the garden in particular, was it based on sort of a rainy day? There was just, I think part of the magic that made it look alive was there was like things dripping and things looked wet. There was just so much life in it. In Japan, we have this seasonal rain. This particular rain, it happens just before sunset and it happens for like 10 minutes and it just goes away. But it's it comes quite sudden that... I just remember seeing my mom rushing to get some laundry inside, which is hanging there. 
And I just really wanted to bring this uh, memory into the finale episode. Um, so this particular rain is called Yudachi. Yeah, I basically made this landscape with some presence of rain. So there's puddles on the on the path and there's uh, water dripping from the laundry. So yeah, I used more resin. <laughs> so much resin. You used so much resin. <laughs> I actually used up the whole resin that was available in the studio. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me because after you said you hadn't used it, I'm watching and there's puddles and rain and <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> And I'm like, she's all in. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I was really determined to finish this whole thing that I was working on for, you know, many weeks. Yeah, I think that was more of a things I wanted to achieve was to to finish the, the whole thing rather than like winning the whole show. It was really important to me to do that. I mean, your house is beautiful and it's just such a beautiful combination of a lot of things. And I think the fact that it's so personal really shows. But is it hard in a way to do something that personal and show it to everyone? I mean, did it make you homesick for Japan? Yeah, definitely. I cried every episode. It didn't show on the show. Like, they didn't show that on the television. There was an episode, I think it was a dining room, where I made a dining room to look like a New Year's Eve celebration. Mm -hmm. I cried halfway because... Usually I'd go home, like I would go back to Japan every winter to be there for that New Year's Day. That was like a tradition and that was a custom. Like it was such an important holiday to celebrate New Year's uh, with a family. And because um, when I was in Canada filming the show, this would have been like the end of pandemic, perhaps. Like I, I was not able to go home to see my family for three years. So I was pretty homesick at this point. And then to make this room, it was very emotional. So, so yeah, I was crying while I was making this room. Well, you put your heart into yeah, it. Yeah, I did. You really did. So what changed for you after the show? Well, like we were saying, I learned to make everything faster. <laughs> But also, it gave me a lot of confidence, not by winning the title, but because I was able to show my vision and through this uh, very special art form. And yeah, I've learned so much. And to meet other miniature contestants who are amazing, they become my friends. And yeah, I think the overall experience, it was such a unique experience that it changed me in a way. And I've learned so much about myself. I, I think it gave me a lot of confidence in this world. Well, that's great because I can see that because it's such a unique pressured experience that you're going to have a lot more emotions and a lot more time to self-reflect than you would otherwise. Yeah, definitely. I think because miniatures was something that I discovered, rediscovered during lockdown when I was having like a self-reflection, like, what do I really like? What do I really love doing in my life? And I went back to my childhood passion, which was to make miniatures. And it makes me think about myself a lot more and what I really love doing and making. It's a very emotional process. <laughs> it is. So one of the things we talked about earlier, I was asking you about this lockdown period and you started doing miniatures and you told me the first thing you made was a miniature toilet. Everyone who owned the house, 
were renovating and decorating their bathrooms in lockdown. They would be painting the wall, they would add some shelves, and I was so jealous. Me and my partner, we were renting uh, a tiny flat in London, and we couldn't really do anything to it because we didn't own them. I always wanted to have like a jungly, you know, bathroom that had a lot of plants inside, and I really wanted that vision to come to life. So I decided that, okay, I will make a miniature bathroom, my dream bathroom, with lots of plants. So that's how it all started. So I I didn't know anything about making miniatures. I didn't know that 112 was like a standard scale. I had no idea. So I just made this toilet. <laughs> and then I made a lot of plants to go around the toilet. And then I made the bathroom structure. So it all started from one toilet. That's amazing that it started from a toilet. And also then you just built the entire scale around the toilet. I did. And eventually you made a whole house. Yeah. And it's way smaller than 112. It's, I think overall it's almost like 118, 119 scale. Okay. Um, but because of the toilet, it kind of set the whole scale for the rest of the house. The toilet is in Hannah scale. <laughs> It's not in a regular scale. No. But I kind of love that. You had to start somewhere, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, people do ask me a lot on social media, like, how do I start making miniatures? How do I learn about it? Like, where do we start? And um, I I just say to them, like, it doesn't matter. Just do anything like that you feel comfortable and just use anything that you're most familiar with. You don't have to always have expensive tools or expensive material or to to read a lot about it before you even start making something. You could just, just do it and then learn from it. Most of the miniatures I know, including myself, just sort of started. And then after you start, you you learn what you don't know and you start to try to learn things. Yeah, I think that's how you kind of go by it because there's so many informations out there, so much that you can learn. Um yeah, don't don't get scared by the amount of uh, information and things that you want to learn. You just start something, it's just somewhere, and then you kind of build from there. I think that's good advice. Now, you had already a trait that I think most miniaturists had before you started building. You had saved a lot of random things, right? And you used that to build your house. <laughs> yes, I did. I'm a holder. <laughs> As are most of us. <laughs> Started when I was living in Japan when I was little as well. Like I would like eat a snack and then I would look at the container that the snack was in. And I was like, oh, that's a nice shape. I'll keep that for something for some day. I was still doing that. I would collect random piece of material, like packaging paper that has got interesting textures, a lot of plastic uh, containers that things came in with. And I just kept them thinking one day I would, you know, use them for something. You know, my partner would be like looking at me like, oh, they're like pile of rubbish, you should throw it away. But then one day you did use it for something. I'm happy to say they're very useful. <laughs> now your beautiful, beautiful plants, do you make them out of clay? Yes, I do. I make most of my plants out of uh, resin clay. Which is a Japanese clay? I think... I mean, they're quite popular in Japan. I just can't find something very similar here in the UK. There might be some out there, but I just I just go back to Japan and 
play around with some clay that I can get hold of there and then I just pick the best one and I bring it back. It's, it's kind of like, um, it's got like a polymer clay texture, but it's air dry. You don't have to bake them. And it's quite nice because um, it kind of gets very thin and stretchy. Which you need for the plant. Yes. So are these plants that you make, are they modeled on real plants? It's safe to say most of the plants I make is something that I've owned in real life. I also collect a lot of plants in real size. <laughs> How many plants in real size? I think I have around like more than 60, close to 70 plants. Wow. I mean, watering them is like a whole routine, right? Oh, yeah. It's a big effort goes into it. Like every plant's got different needs, you know, some of them just needs spraying rather than watering. Some of them prefers filtered water over like tap water. And, you know, some of them, you don't even have to water them for a long time. And then all of a sudden the summer comes and you just have to look after it. And it's all very different. And I, I love the difference of real plants. And when they do feel like look sad, you know, when when it started showing some brown edges or yellowing leaves, and then it makes me worry. It's like, what's wrong with you, you know? The whole thing is a it's a beauty because um you know you're bringing something quite natural into your man-made uh, space trying to find a harmony to live together. Oh, that's beautiful. So how long have you had all these plants? It, has it been your whole life or was it more recent? I had plants from a long time ago. My family back in Japan, they love plants and they they love gardening. They were big gardeners. And I try to make, have plants throughout my teenage years and in my 20s. And, you know, I was not a perfect plant mother. Like, I would manage to kill most of them. Oh, no. <laughs> but now I am quite into it. And before lockdown, I was already collecting quite a lot and, you know, really working hard to keep them alive. And during the lockdown, I think I got even more into it because... You were not really allowed to go out that much, so you had to enjoy everything that you have in your space. So, yeah, I had it for a long time. It's like addiction, you know. You have, like, five plants, then you want five more. And then when you have ten, you want twenty more. <laughs> I think any collection is like that. And I think most miniaturists are natural collectors. So you have two things of mini food, you want 20, you know? <laughs> I know, I totally agree. I think we are all like holders and collectors. I think that's right. So when you were living in this little flat in London, and I've stayed in London in hotel rooms and, you know, everything's so small there. Did you have like 60 plants in your tiny little flat? I did, believe it or not. We now have a house that, you know, it's got like three different floors, but before, when I was living in London, it was one floor, ground floor flat. All the possible shelves and surface area would be covered in plants. <laughs> so hopefully your partner likes plants too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a bit too late to say that, you know, he's not into it. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Canada, when filming the show, you know, we had no idea when I was going home. So my poor partner had to water and look after all the plants during the heat wave. Yeah, he did a good job. I'm really proud of him. Oh, well, he would have been in big trouble if you'd come home, one best in miniature, and all 60 plants were dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, imagine. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that crossed his mind. <laughs> what I love is when you make plants, 
I mean, each plant looks so individual. And I especially love, sometimes you make plants that look a little, a little sick, that have a brown spot or something. And I kind of love that. Yeah. You know what? It's been like three years since I started making plants, but dead plants and sad looking plants are quite popular on my, um, when I sell them. Really? People relate them like better because not you know none of us have perfect plants i mean some people do but most likely you have an experience struggling to keep the plants alive so when people get hold of my dead plants or yellow plants they're like oh it's just like mine and it's like nice because they it kind of gives them an opportunity to talk about their experience with plants and i can relate to that as well and I also feel like the browning and yellowing of the leaves are, you know, part of the beauty. I paint all the leaves individually and I just love adding some characters to it. It's probably like, I, I, I want to say that's my style, is that none of the plants I make are perfect. Well, and that's what makes them look so real, I think. Yes, yeah. Some of these plants must take a long time to make. Yeah, well, it depends on which plants I would... Probably say two to three days to make one monstera plant. And then when it's like a plant with lots of leaves or patterns, then that takes longer to make because I'm painting them individually. So a plant could take as long as four or five days? Yeah, four or five days. And it also kind of have the drying time as well. That's the hardest part of miniatures for me is waiting for things to dry. Yeah, because you're in the mood to just, do it and you have to wait until the clay has to dry before painting them and like I hate that so (laughs) I do too when I'm organized I try to think of like two projects I can do hand in hand Mm -hmm. like what can I do during that time it's drying because you know you're in you're in the zone and you want to keep working yeah exactly so I now have a good system where this week I'm doing this while that's drying then I move on to this next project and so that way my hands are always moving making things you learn that from the show (laughs) oh definitely yeah gosh yes if you think about it if you're making something with lots of glue and trying to make the whole room into eight hours the drying time is really crucial that you have to do everything at the beginning so that it dries before the time is up well miniatures is it's time consuming. It is. It's amazing to me, you know, the small amount of time they give you, like for those mini challenges. Was that, how long did they give you for those? Oh, I can't quite remember, but it was like 75 minutes to like 90 minutes. I mean, that's very little time for anything to dry. Yeah, exactly. And, but I'm pretty, pretty sure like when people who are not into this world don't know about it will think that's a lot of time, but it is really not. It flies like, it's, yeah, it just went so quick. What was your favorite of the mini challenges? Oh, I think I enjoyed making ramen bowl the most. I made this uh, miniature ramen bowl, like a Japanese noodle thing, with chopsticks floating in the air. And I just enjoyed so much making that. <laughs> That's so cool. To me, it's amazing. I mean, sometimes when I'm at the in the dollhouse, you know, you spend an hour just kind of cleaning things up, looking for your materials. <laughs> Amount of time I lost things during the challenges and you just have no time to find it. So you'll make something and then you lose this thing. 
Oh, no. Rather than looking for it, you just have to make the new one. I can see that. So you grew up in Japan, is that right? Yes, I did. I was living there and, until the age of 15. So what happened after the age of 15? I really wanted to study art and photography. You know, I grew up in a Japan where education system is quite strict and the academic subjects are very important to get into a good high school so that you could get into good university, so you have a good life, so on and so on. And so there's always a pressure of like, you have to really like study hard and so then you will get into a good company and you have a stable life. But then I was like, but what if I don't want to do that? If what if I didn't want to be working in like a bank or become a doctor? So I decided that I really wanted to go somewhere where, you know, we have a freedom to study art and photography. So I went to New Zealand. Wow, that's a big decision to make when you were 15, 16? Yeah, I was 15. Now I think about it, it's a bit crazy because I went on my own without my family. What what was I thinking, really? <laughs> was it at a boarding school? No, I was living with a um, host family, like a homestay mm -hmm. family. They're really nice people and uh, they just taught me a lot about life. And, you know, because you're a teenager and you're becoming an adult and you just, it's a quite important time in your life and they're amazing. That's where I met amazing art teacher and photography teacher as well at school. I was really able to express my, express me through those art forms. That's wonderful. So you went to high school there and did you go to university there too? Yeah, I did. I went to a university which was in the same town where I was going for the uh, high school. And I just really, really loved New Zealand and this town called Dunedin. And I really wanted to stay there and wanted to work there as well after I graduated. It was just really difficult for international students to get a job. And right. it was also like, you know, it's not a, a huge country with a big industry. So it, I was going to struggle to find something. So I decided to move out and move to the UK. And I lived in London for 10 years. I love London. It is such a vibrant, beautiful city. It is, yeah. It's also full of a lot of, a lot of culture. And growing up in Japan with, you know, as, as a mixed, mixed race, there's always a bit of a, like, oh, I'm very different from everyone else. You know, having English dad, having a very English name. It was... Sometimes it was difficult, and but in London, you know, there's so many people who come from all over the world. They're all very creative and inspirational, and so it was really good. It was a, it was a good city to live in. You felt like you belonged. I did, yes. London has such an international feel to it. It does have so much culture and art. One of the things as an American, when you start visiting Europe and other places, is this sense of how much older some of these other countries are. The history goes back so much further. Yeah, I agree. I think living in London and it's full of old buildings with culture and also like doll's houses, a very traditional thing in, in the UK history. There's a lot of uh, very important doll's houses around the country, which has been there since like 1800s or something. Yeah, I went and saw Queen Mary's dollhouse. There was a big line to see it. 
And my husband's like, do you really want to wait in this line? And I'm like, oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I came to see the dollhouse and I'm not leaving until I saw it. But it was hard because they have you. It's in this little room and you walk all around it. And so there's this pressure to kind of go fast. Yeah. I could have just stared at it for so long. Me too. And it's also quite dark as well. It's very dark. Yeah. And I just, I was just like, oh, that wasn't enough. I have to go back in again to have a look at it again. That's how I felt. I felt like I was asking the guard, like, is there ever a time when there aren't as many people? Because, you know, they're like pushing me out and I'm like, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's probably one of the famous dolls house in the whole world, isn't it? It's an interesting house because it was really built not so much as a toy, but to showcase English craftsmanship. Yeah. And it's amazing because some of them are functional and some of the stuff they have there is just so intricate. And it's amazing that they were able to create something like that before the 3D printer and everything. It's really, really amazing. It is. It is. But now you're outside of London now, right? Yes, we are. We moved out in March. We now live in this uh, very traditional town called Warwick. It's got a castle, got a nice community. And basically, we just needed more space for what I do. I I needed to have a room is dedicated for my work. And my partner works from home as well. So it was time to move, time to move out of a small, expensive flat in London. (laughs) must be so nice to have your own workroom and not just be hogging up the dining room table. Yes, gosh. We were eating on the floor during the lockdown because I would just take over the whole dining table to do my mini work. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It, I'm quite used to it because in Japan, we sometimes eat on the floor, like on tatami mats. Whereas my partner, who is, you know, British, he, he had to do the same. So he did a good job and putting up with me. <laughs> But it's not his favorite, eating on the floor. <laughs> I'm just guessing. We are now sitting down nicely on the dining chair on the dining table. It's good to have the dining table back, I'm sure. So, Hannah, you've done some really interesting commercial work, too. Yeah. One of the pieces that I love is, I believe it's for a movie theater. It has popcorn in it. Can you tell us about that? I had that job in the beginning of this year before the movie came out. It was it was for the Antman and the Wasp, but I, it, this job was really for the cinema, which is quite a big chain in the UK. It's called View Cinema. And so, yeah, they approached me and asked me to make a miniature cinema. I came up with the idea of why don't we just make this in um, popcorn carton? I love that because you have the cinema and then there's popcorn everywhere. But I just wanted to go back to something you said because I didn't quite catch it. You said it was mostly for the cinema, but there was also a particular movie that was coming out that you did it for? Yes. So the whole project was for the cinema and they're the one that gave me this opportunity. But it was to go with um, the release dates for the Ant-Man on the Wasp, which is a Marvel film. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. And this film, um, I don't know if you've watched it, but it's all about shrinking. And so it's a perfect for miniature artists to, you know, work with this project because, yeah, that's what we do. We shrink everything. So how did you incorporate the popcorn? It's like on top and it's in real life size. Well, the popcorns are real size and it's real. I actually got this popcorn from the cinema that I was doing this project for. 
I love that. But the popcorn carton is slightly bigger than the real one because I really have to put the ticket foyer for the cinema and the film screening room upstairs. So they, I think, I can't quite remember the scale that I have to work on, but they're really tiny, like less than half of 112 scale. Really? I think so. I can't remember, but it's it's quite tiny. Like popcorn I have to make was just, you can't imagine. It's pretty detailed. I mean, you have each seat looks a little different and you have little snacks and everything. Yeah. Well, I really wanted to play around with the like, idea of like what actually happens in cinema. So there's someone always spilling popcorns. There's someone always eating a lot of snacks and, you know, drinking a lot of things. And, and I really wanted to make it messy, but also you can't because you are promoting the cinema. So. Right. <laughs> You know, if if I wasn't really working for them, I probably made a bit more messy because it's the realistic of uh, that's what happens in cinema, isn't it? It is, but I can understand why they might not want to show it at its dirtiest. <laughs> <laughs> what other commercial projects have you done? I've done something for Amazon UK and I also did a uh, book cover for like a miniature, like a fic- fictional miniature story. And I've done, this was last year, but I've done something for Samsung with some other miniature artists. And yeah, so it's been a quite a good few years of commercial, as well as doing like exhibitions and making a lot of plans for my Etsy. And yeah, so I've done quite a lot now. Yeah. So when you say a book cover, you mean you built a set and then they photographed it for the book cover? Or what did you mean by that? So I was approached by a publisher who was about to publish this book, which had a lot of miniature elements inside. And they wanted me to make the miniatures that kind of gets talked about in the story and photograph them to be, to make it into like a book cover. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, and we didn't even talk about before you were a full-time miniaturist, your job was actually photography. You were a photographer. Yes, I was. So it's very helpful that I have that background because most of my job that I, I do for like a big commercial jobs, I often do like stop motion animations and photography for, for them as well. That must come in really handy that you can do it all in one package. Yeah, it is. You know, it means that I'm doing everything and it's quite a lot of work, but I just find it very stressful to pack it and then send it away. So wherever it's getting filmed and photographed, I rather do it in my studio where I have a full control so I could fix things if it breaks. So, yeah, I prefer it. I can see that. I can see thinking, well, what if this breaks and what if they put it back wrong? Like you don't want to get a picture and be like, that's not how I meant it. Exactly. Yeah, it had happened to me before when I shipped something and then the, the clients were doing the photography and the filming of it. And I just realized it later on that they put the, the chain the wrong way. And I go, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, because there's always like a good side and a bad side of things, right? Like when you're taking photos of yourself, you have a good side face. Oh, yeah. The stool that I made. Like, oh, that's a bad side. That's the, the, other, the other side was better. <laughs> right. Sometimes in my miniatures, there's only half of a good side. <laughs> You have to turn it just right. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing you make that I love is you make bugs. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that you're bringing this up because I am really passionate about bugs. They are so cool, your bugs. 
So what fascinates you about the bugs? In Japan, we are surrounded by many interesting insects. I grew up with them like around me all the time. I had a lot of like pet insects growing up. <laughs> wow. Like, like give me an example. I had a few praying mantis. I also had some beetles. I often like catch a butterfly and just let it fly around in the house. <laughs> it was uh, pretty crazy that my parents were able to let me do that for me because I'm sure it's like some people are not really a fan of bugs. But I was just able to bring it home and play around. And I think it was like nice because growing up in Japan as a mixed race, like my parents were a bit worried that I might get bullied at school and I might not be able to have friends. And they were like always telling me like, you could always talk to animals and you can talk to birds and bugs. They could be your friends too. And I was like, okay. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. So... I think bugs are so intricate and beautiful when you look at them up close. Do you have favorite ones to make? I'm still sort of like trying out different kind of bugs and I still don't know what, what my favorite ones are. But I recently made some stag beetles and that was quite fun to make. But my absolute favorite thing that I made so far probably will be the prey mantis because it's quite real. Like It looks quite real. I had an experience of playing around with them and... Although like we don't have that kind of bugs in the UK, I was able to make it quite realistic and uh, people kind of rent them for photo shoots and stuff now. So I'm glad that it's useful as well. <laughs> yes, that's how I first saw it. I was looking at some of your commercial pictures and I was like, what did she make in this? Because it's like this beautiful model. And I'm like, oh, the praying mantis. She must have made the praying mantis. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, pretty realistic that people don't actually know that they're made from like plastic bottles and paper. Oh, is that what you make them from? I was assuming clay. There are some clay as well, but wings and things, yeah, made out of a plastic bottle. Wow, it really looks real. Well, I'll have to share a photo of it when, when this airs. I also saw the beetles and they almost looked, are, are they really that big? They look pretty big compared to your finger. Are you making them in real life or are they just giant bugs oh uh, they are real real size bugs so i wouldn't say like the bugs are like my miniature work it's more of a model making i think oh i see okay so you're you're making them the size of the actual bug yeah That's what i thought i study them like before i make them and like study the structure how big they get in real life just trying to make it as real as possible yes they were a little bigger than i would have expected from a bug <laughs> Yeah, but they're all quite big, like the stuck beetles in Japan. They, they are massive. That's what I was gathering. But at first I was like, that is a big beetle. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Ohio. We don't have giant bugs here. Oh, right. So what do you see as next for you? Do you have a goal? Are you just happy and want to continue how you're doing? Where do you see yourself in five or ten years? Well, there are so many things I would love to do. It's crazy. Like, since I started making miniatures, I just have inspiration to do everything. And that I didn't get with photography. I just want to try everything and do everything. And also, at the same time, people ask me to do like, oh, could you do tutorial and stuff like, like that? So I'd love to do a workshop or like a tutorial online one day. I'm not quite ready yet, but my absolute goal is to probably have a book where you can learn how to make miniatures. I also just want to, yeah, do a lot of commission work. 
I want to challenge myself to not just stay with like plants, but just want to make everything. That's incredible. I mean, it's so nice. It feels like you've really found what you love doing and what you were meant to do. Yes, I think so. I am very lucky and grateful that uh, people around me really encouraged me to go for it. Also, the opportunity like a TV show and uh, Chicago shows, IGMA, the people I met. And it's they're all very nice and helpful. And I just feel like I found the right community and the right job for me. Something that I'm really excited about and see like where I will end up in, you know, next 10 years. So I'm very happy and uh, very grateful. That's wonderful. That really is. And I'm not surprised that you found support in the miniature community because I, I think in general it is very, very supportive. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I, I've made friends like internationally. I feel like wherever in the world there are miniaturists and we'll be able to talk about it and we'll be able to connect. So that's nice. Yes. And if you can't think of anything to say, you can always say, what kind of glue do you use? <laughs> <laughs> that topic well yeah it will go on forever right 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 that's a real icebreaker (laughs) well hannah it's been just such a delight having you on the show i loved meeting you at igma it was so fun getting to know you and i've wanted to have you on the show ever since so thank you for making time to come and talk about your passion and and why you do it and why you love it Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for having, uh, giving me this opportunity to talk about it. So it's it's just always so wonderful talking about my work. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I mean, a day when you can wake up and talk about miniatures and do miniatures is always a good day. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, that's one of the things I loved about Guild School is even though we had to wake up much earlier than I usually do, I'd wake up and be like, I get to be around miniatures all day and I get to make minis all day and I would just pop out of bed. Exactly. It was exciting every day to wake up to. It was. Yeah. It was. Well, thanks again, Hannah. And we wish all good things for you. I have a feeling that in a couple years or maybe sooner, you'll be back and we'll be talking about a book and all kinds of other exciting things for you. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) That's very kind of you. Well, thank you again and make something beautiful and miniature today, okay? Thank you. Well, you too. (laughs) Have fun. Bye-bye. Bye. Such a pleasure talking to Hannah about her passion for miniatures. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would so appreciate it if you would take a moment to write a review. That's how podcasts grow. My next episode comes out in January. Details to be announced on my Instagram, Mad About Miniatures. Also, it's okay to take time out from errands, holiday, prep, whatever, to do something that is just for yourself because it brings you joy. Keep making miniatures, and I'll have more for you in 2024. And remember... There are no rules in your dollhouse except those you create for yourself. Goodbye.